Thanks, Dee. If you get a chance to chat to Dee, you can ask her about how God's healed, healed and is continuing to heal her legs. Um, she wouldn't have been able to walk up those steps a few months ago, so it's exciting. Um, another little notice about prayer. Do come tomorrow night. But today, after church, some of us are going to go and walk through the Honoroka State where there have been a number of shootings and stabbings and other violent things. And we're just going to pray and ask God to stop it and ask God what he wants us to do there practically. So it's going to be a time of praying, but also listening and trying to get a sense on the ground of what he wants us to do. So um, we're going to have a lunch together and it was bring your own packed lunch, but I have brought my leftovers from yesterday. So if you want to eat leftovers with me, you're very welcome. There's lots. Um, otherwise, bring your packed lunch. We'll eat it quickly and then just go for a walk. We'll be done by probably two, I hope, at the latest. Great. Thank you, Dee, for reading. Uh, we are beginning the summer of love. Yeah. T- turn to your person next to you and say, welcome to the summer of love. <laughs> yep, that's what this is. Um, because we're going to be looking over the summer months at the book of 1 John. Okay, so this is written by John. This is the beginning, so I'll give you a little um, intro. I'm not a scholar, but I'll tell you what I figured out anyway. John wrote the Gospel of John. He was the beloved disciple who leaned on Jesus' chest and seemed really close to Jesus. And he also wrote this epistle, which is like a letter that was meant to be circulated amongst all the churches. You know, we'll read it and then we'll pass it on to Forest Hill and Forest Hill will read it and pass it on to Catford. And it goes round and everyone starts to get um, what John thought were the main things that people needed to know when following Jesus. Um, We think he wrote it before he was exiled on the Isle, Isle of Patmos, which means he wrote it within the first years or decades of actually being with Jesus. Um, so it's a, and a really important um, kind of like first document. Uh, what, do you, what do you call those historical like eyewitness documents of, of Jesus and his life? Um, I find John encouraging because if you read it, and I do suggest you read it on your own in the week, um, he seems to start on one topic and then jump to another one and then maybe go back to the first one and he's a bit all over the place which is really encouraging for people who are scattered divergent thinkers and external processors thank you John um, and, but what he is coming through to I think in the whole of the book is about love about God's love for us how beloved we are and how God has expressed his love for us and then how we love him and how what love looks like when we follow God, and then how do we love each other in light of the way that we are loved. Um, But when he's talking about love, so in our summer of love from 1 John, this is not generally going to be soft, cuddly, unicorns and rainbows love. Instead, this is a book about deep, authentic love, and John's descriptions of it are very practical, sometimes uncomfortably practical. He sets the bar pretty high, and he talks about love that costs something. Just as love, Jesus loving us cost him his life, he's saying when you love, it might cost you something. This is love that requires us to come out of darkness and into light in our thinking and in our actions. It's love that asks us to be humble 
It's love that asks us to forgive others and to seek forgiveness ourselves. And in this way, John is carrying on Jesus' teaching of going the second mile. Uh, if someone asks for your coat, give them your shirt as well. Turn the other cheek. Jesus said the greatest love that we can show is to lay down our lives for our friends. And so John carries on in this vein saying, this is love. It's not just like soft and cushy always, although it is that too. But it, it, it requires something of us. Um, eight times in this epistle... And nine times in his gospel. Do I sound like Jerry right now? Yes. But um, it's true still. John equates love for God or knowledge of God with obeying and keeping his commands. And this is not a thing we think about. Obeying is not a very fun word, is it? But God says over and over again. So John 14, 5, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. In 14.23 of John, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. I love that, that God comes and he makes his home with us. He, he often gives me a picture of him coming in with lots of groceries under his arm and cooking me up a great breakfast. He comes and he makes his home with us when we love him enough to do what he says. Does that make sense? So it's loving, but it's obeying as well. Um, in 1 John 2 and 6, so that'll be next week's chapter, he sums it up like this. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. The question is, how do we do this? As we read the life of Jesus, we can immediately see that walking as Jesus did leaves us with some pretty big shoes to fill. This is not going to be an easy task. Jesus showed us a love that looked like something. Have you heard this phrase, love has to look like something? I think it looks like Jesus. And so how does John help us to begin to learn to walk like Jesus and to love like he did? Well, I, in reading this chapter to get ready for today, I was fascinated by the way he began. It, it reflects very much, the, the first chapter of 1 John is very similar to the first chapter of the Gospel of John which I think you should read in parallel this week if you can, 1 John 1 and John 1. Um, and they are very obviously based on the first chapter of Genesis as well. We see these themes coming all the way through. Um, God spoke and there was light. The, the spirit of God is hovering over very close to us, creating light, creating goodness. And, um, but I'm fascinated by the way he begins 1 John and he says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This mirrors John, uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So he starts with a God who is here with us. He starts with a God who we can touch and see and hear. This is incarnation, or I, I, I like to say enfleshment. <laughs> this is God, great God, who created the heavens and the earth, who was and is and is to come, who says, I'm going to put on a body and I'm going to come so close that you can see me and hear me and touch me. 
and know me. And we see that God's plan has always been to be near to his people, to be near to his creation. We saw that in the Genesis passage and we see it here. And John marvels that this immense Godhead is allowing us to see and hear and touch him. He didn't come as a concept or a force or a series of ideas, but he came as a person. How beautiful is that? That God came as a person. We're never meant to simply adhere to a set of beliefs or mentally assent to a theory or a theology. This is not what it means to be a Christian or a believer or a follower of Jesus. If you believe something, great, but we're meant to know him. We're meant to experience him. Um, The virtual world is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our lives, isn't it? Increasing numbers of us relate to each other digitally. You know, we've got, um, I hear you can make an avatar of yourself and attend a meeting as an avatar. Is that a true thing? This is what I've heard. Jenny says yes, and she's a TV lady. Yeah. Um, You can, uh, you know, live life through VR, can't you? Like, put on these goggles and be in a different world. We have online dating we have texting. Most of us, including myself, couldn't live our lives without WhatsApp. You know, like, so we relate to each other in a distant kind of way, in a, in a virtual way. Um, I've even been seeing these posters that you can go and watch ABBA, but they're holograms. They're not real people. <laughs> this, this, is, this is kind of what we're dealing with at the minute, right? And this is helpful for us as far as saving time. And a lot of us really enjoyed watching church in our pajamas or like only dressing from the top up or from the waist up to go to meetings for the last two years, like fun. But what have we really missed? Well, I think we've missed hugging each other, touching each other, seeing the creases in people's eyes when they smile, when we pass the plates around the table. Do you, hear, do you see the difference between virtual life and real life? And this is, I think, what God's inviting us into. He's saying, I'm touchable. I'm knowable. You can hear my voice. You can be with me. And lots of us got good on these Zoom calls, myself included, at kind of making my space look like I was a really amazing interior designer. Like, before the camera goes on, you put the vase of flowers right behind you and shove the pile of unfolded laundry on that side. But this isn't letting someone in, is it? It isn't letting someone know the whole truth of me, which is that I have beautiful flowers and unfolded laundry, both, yeah? And God wants to know us in this way. God doesn't want to know us virtually. He doesn't want to be something we believe in our brains or, or um, assent to in some part. He says, I want to be experienced by you. And this is how John begins. He says, what I've seen and heard and touched, I'm going to tell you. He's asking for relationship. Um, this is what I think caused John and many of the early disciples to, to be willing to be martyred or to be exiled. Because they had touched Jesus. They had experienced him and they were ravished by the love that had ravished them. They had been so loved by Jesus and so transformed by being in his presence that they were like, nothing else matters. I can go to a cross for you. I can be exiled for you because I need you. Yeah? 
Um, they were just consumed with love for him. And we know that this God, the one who sent his son as Emmanuel, God with us, is always there. And this is something we would probably be able to say, right? Yeah, God is always there. But he means for us to experience that. In fact, he longs for it so much that he was willing to send Jesus to die. It cost him his life to win this kind of intimacy with us. And Jesus did away with ritual sacrifice, you know, the Old Testament way of having to fulfill the requirements to make ourselves holy enough. He, d he did away with that through the shedding of his blood and he tore the veil. Do you remember the, the veil between the holy place and the most holy place just spontaneously ripped open in that moment when Jesus gave up his life? He tore the veil so that we could come in and so that we could know him. So how do we experience him? How do we make this part of our days? Because I feel like if we're not living in a place where we are daily, weekly experiencing God, touching him, hearing him, seeing him, we are um, missing out. There's so much more he's inviting us to. Um, just a couple of examples from the Bible that I thought of is um, Thomas. Now, we often say, oh, doubting Thomas and kind of put him down, but I don't see that Jesus ever did that. He said, blessed are those who don't have to do this and still believe, but he didn't ever chide, um, chide Thomas. He just said, come on, put your hands in my wounds. You can feel it. You can feel that I've got a scar there. I really am risen from the dead. And I think in that, he was also saying to, to Thomas, um, I'm also a God who knows pain. I'm also an, a God who's scarred. You can know me in this way. Um, Elijah had a terrible time, ran away, lying in the wilderness, just feeling absolutely spent. And God, um, well, wakes him up and makes him breakfast. That was nice. Makes him like magic bread and, and then keep going. And he takes him into the wilderness, takes him to a cave, and he says, here's my still small voice. Listen to me. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite one is Hagar, who uh, also had a terrible time, ran away because she was being oppressed, probably racially oppressed. Um, ran away and sort of despaired of life in the desert, really thirsty. And suddenly God makes a well appear that wasn't there before. Again, miracle, magic, magic water. And she says, I have seen the one who sees me. She experienced God. He's seen me, and now I've seen him too. Yeah? This is what we're meant to be having with him all of the time. And how does it happen? Honestly, I know this is going to sound really simple, but I think we just come to him. I think we just come. A friend of mine said to me recently something like this. You know, even if I've been ignoring God for a little while, I turn around and there he is. And he's been waiting there all along. Um, and certainly that's been my experience. He's been waiting there, lovingly waiting and patiently waiting. Through my busyness, through my everything, he's been waiting to talk to me and be with me and be in everything that I'm going through. And you know, we can come to him with all of our joy or sorrow or anger or questions, whatever it is, he's always there. And 
I loved, um, thank you, worship team, for your worship this morning. It was great. But brilliant that, you know, there was that proclamation of truth. Your goodness is running after me. What was the other line about um, he works everything together for my good? These are true, true statements. Doesn't always feel that way. Because we go through these things and we're like, this doesn't feel like it's working together for my good. Yeah? Those are the things we come to God with. Those are the moments we experience him. Um, and it happens lots of different ways. It can happen through that still small voice that Chris was saying this morning. God puts his thoughts inside our thoughts. Um, sometimes we think something that you're like, well, that was maybe a bit too clever to have actually been me. That probably is God. He, he puts a comforting thought in our heart. Yeah. I think of a time when I was, um, I'd done something I was really ashamed of and just was blanking God because it was too much to go there. And when I finally did go to him, I thought he was either going to ignore me or tell me off. And he just, you know, in my heart, told me how lovely I was to him. And he said, you can come and hide under the shadow of my wing. You know, I was hiding from shame from him. And he said, I'm going to hide you. Yeah. So this is the kind of God he is and, and how we can come to him, whatever we're going through. Um, we hear him through other people. So this is why we practice the prophetic here, why we try and get words for each other. Because sometimes there's too much going on in your mind and heart to get a clear thing. But someone else can come and say, this is the truth. This is who God is. This is what he's doing. We hear him. I hear him a lot, and I imagine others, through nature, just through going for a walk and getting under some trees and seeing some birds, and, and he speaks, and he comes, and his presence is made um, really evident, tangibly evident through everything that he's created. Um, we get him through scripture. He speaks to us through scripture. We experience him through scripture. So if you don't have a regular habit of... Um, reading the Bible, please, please get one because it will help you. Yeah, it's one of these, if you love me, obey my commands, get in his word, <laughs> get, make the discipline to do that because it really feeds you. Um, I didn't really want to share this, but in the worship, I really felt God say to me to share it. So here it is. Um, one, so there's several scriptures over the years that God's really given to me and I know he's spoken to me and I've hung on to them and one of them is in Isaiah 54, where it says, Sing, O barren woman, the one who's never had a child, um, rejoice, because more are the children of, the, of her who has no husband than her, 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 whatever, however it ends, than of her who has many husbands. No, just one. But, um, you know, as a person who was very maternal and always wanted to have children and wasn't married and was watching my fertility slip away from me, this verse that I know God gave me about 20 years ago has been an anchor for me. And one I keep coming back to. This is your promise to me. You are going to give me more children than of those who've been able to have them naturally. And he's done that in many ways. And I know he's going to continue. But I mean, we need to experience God, whether we're in a barren place or a fruitful place. He is with us. He wants to be with us. How do we connect to him? Do we come to him or do we just... Do we turn with anger? Do we, what do we do? Um, but we need to come to him and experience him because he's so kind and good, honestly. So kind and good. Um, and we need to get in there. Um, 
one of the main reasons I think we miss him is distraction. And I'm preaching to myself here. There are so many things vying for our attention. And some of them are important things like people and work and causes. And some of them are unimportant things like TikTok and Gogglebox. Gogglebox is so good though, isn't it? Anyway, when we choose to set those things aside and put our focus entirely on him, something really beautiful happens. It's an act of worship on our part. It's an act of sacrifice on our part sometimes. And he responds to that love and he comes and makes his home with us. He comes and dwells with us. He comes and meets us in our gut. <laughs> and he comes and speaks to us. He speaks through that still small voice and all the other ways that we've talked about. He speaks through our um, dreams. I'm not a great dreamer, but lots of you are. And he speaks to us in dreams. He speaks to us in our imagination. Sometimes imagination is a thing that we think is like a bit dangerous. But actually, God imagined the world, didn't he? He is the first imaginer. And so our imagination is a gift from him. It's, it's one of the ways in which we are made in his image. So the imagination brought under the power of the Holy Spirit is, is a, a beautiful way of, of knowing God and meeting him. I've been, um, I've been studying a bit with Abby, who usually comes to the evening service, some really ancient Ignatian ways of reading the scripture and imagining yourself in that and, um, and praying with your imagination. It's been really, really wonderful. But we need to make time. Um, just like when we're getting to know another person, we need to carve out time dedicated to sitting with them, listening to them, sharing our hearts with them. It's exactly the same with our relationship with God. Um, we need to make that time. Ben, ben has said, you know, if you're really struggling, do the actual tangible thing. Pull up a chair, make yourself a coffee, and say, morning, Jesus. <laughs> He's right there. And just start talking to him. Start connecting to him that way. So my question is, how can we this week incorporate into our lives the disciplines which, God, which give God the space to come close? Again, discipline like obedience, not a sexy word, but it's how we meet him. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Make some time for me to come close. Disciplines of silence and solitude, which are hard to come by. We're busy people and in a busy world, in a noisy city, but try and find those spaces to come to him and allow him to come to you. And there's no formula for this. Some of us are morning people. Caroline always sends me the word of the Lord by about 6.30 a.m., which is like, well done, Caroline. But uh, some of us are night people. It doesn't matter what time of day we meet him. We just need to give him a bit of time. And it can be sitting in our favorite chair or it can be walking in the park, which is my favorite way. But we need to find ways to allow, that allow us to put our attention completely on him. And then we're going to start experiencing him. Then we're going to start being able to say like John, what I have touched and heard and seen, I pass on to you. Because we haven't got much to give away to people around us unless we're doing this, right? Yeah? Um, I think another way in which we should be experiencing him is in the miraculous, in the supernatural. Because everything that Jesus did on the earth was really miraculous, whether it was creating more food or um, forgiving people or healing the sick. So for me personally, this is something I really want to go after more in my life. I've seen some and I want more. So this is something that we can be calling out to God for. You know, I used to live in... Um, 
in places where there was nothing like universal credit or NHS. Be grateful, people. Be really grateful. Um, and so if people were sick, there wasn't another recourse other than prayer because they couldn't afford to go to hospital. So, you know, can we start living in that way? Because we're quite comfy, aren't we, in the West? We're quite like, we've got most of our bases covered most days. I thought that was why um, Chris is worried about people being anxious about rising energy costs is the helpful thing for us because, you know, sometimes things are out of our control. But can we, can we live a bit more like they are out of our control? Because actually they are. Can we live more like he is in control and start seeking him in the, for the miraculous, start, start instead of being like, ah, I can figure this out, I can solve this problem, coming to him first and being like, help, what do I do here? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, those are the main things I'd say. Let's work on experiencing him personally, internally, and then in the supernatural, in the miraculous. Um, you know, and I told the story about being ashamed and not wanting to come to God, and then him being so kind. That just kind of leads us to the second part of this chapter, which is all about the purity and holiness of God. So, 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. <laughs> How can we dwell in the presence of the God who is pure light? Because there's darkness in us. And then verse 6 gets right on to that. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. <laughs> he uh, doesn't really mince his words. And he's not leaving any room for us to live as hypocritical Christians. There's no space here for that. He's saying, if you say that you don't have darkness in you, you are lying. <laughs> and he's saying, come into the light. So a friend of mine uses this analogy that God is pure light like the sun. Well, that means we need the sun for life. We couldn't survive on this planet without it. But getting close to it means death. Isn't that a bit of a paradox? Yeah? And God's holiness, his pure light, his pure holiness is a fearful thing. Um, somebody was speaking about fear earlier. Was that in the pre-service prayer? Anyway, somebody was talking about the fear of God. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome, holy thing to come to him. And Jesus, <laughs> if you'll forgive this analogy, is a bit like our sunscreen, sun cream, so that we can come near his holiness. Listen to verses 8 and 9 again. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. This means there's nothing, nothing that he cannot forgive. That is the wonder of the cross. There's nothing beyond the reach of his forgiveness. There's nothing beyond the reach of his purification. He is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins. And it's Jesus shedding his blood on the cross that makes a way for God to be both just and forgiving. And when we walk in the light by coming to him with everything in us that isn't like him, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all unrighteousness. We're made right with him, fully able to live in his light. And the lovely result of that is the verse before that says that when we do that, we then have fellowship with one another. Yeah? 
So the more that we're coming into his light, regularly having him burn off that stuff that isn't like him, regularly having him expose our darkness, that's going to make us easier people to be around. It's going to make us relating to one another better. Yeah? Um, we don't have in this stream of the Anglican Church uh, a regular confession liturgy. I think it should be a regular part of our lives with him. We should regularly be coming to him and saying, what do you think? Not in a condemnatory way. How, how are we doing? Is there any darkness? So this is what David says in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love that this ends with, we're going to be led in the way of everlasting light, uh, life. And he looks at both our offensive ways and our anxious hearts. <laughs> he cares about all of it, whether it's something that I have done wrong to others, whether it's something that others have done wrong to me. The cross cares for all of it. And experiencing God means letting him into all of that, not just arranging the flowers behind my head and having a Zoom call with him, but being like, I've got a lot of dirty laundry. <laughs> I have been ignoring it for months. Could you come to it? Could you help me clean, clean it up? That which I have seen and heard, which our hands have touched, that we proclaim to you. Yeah? God's inviting us with all of our mess, whether it's pain or sin, inviting us to bring it all to him, to experience him on the daily. This is exciting life, people. This is what no one else has. Do you know everyone else is just trying to like make it through? And God's saying, you're not on your own. The one who made the heaven and the earth, the one who keeps the planet spinning and keeps the sun the right distance from the earth, that one says, I'm going to walk with you today with your kid who's driving you bonkers or your boss who is really unfair or with your deep disappointment. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I just want us to respond a bit to what God's been saying already this morning. So if you want to just stand up, if you can, don't have to. And I just invite you to, no, I need it. And invite you to open up your hands just as a sign of saying, Jesus, I'm open to you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Just speak to us, search us and examine us and see if there's any way in us that you want to deal with, whether it's offensive or anxious. Or just come. We want to experience you, God. We want to know your closeness. Just keep telling him that you're open to him and that you want him to come near, that you want to experience him. We're just going to wait for a little while until we start to know his presence with us. Come, Lord. 
sometimes when we're silent, all of our feelings that we've been suppressing with busyness and other things start to rise up. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Just let that happen. Let him come. And everything that rises up, just give it to him. just going to make some space up here for people to come up and come forward and just give stuff to God and receive prayer. Um, we just ask you to come up so that lots of people can come around you and pray for you and give you some words from God and just bless what Holy Spirit is already doing in your life. But I'd just like to invite people up if you want to repent <laughs> of anything, big or small. Um, if someone comes to pray for you, you don't have to tell them what it is. If it helps you to say it aloud, you can, but it, can, it doesn't have to be. But if there's anything that you want to say, I need your forgiveness, Jesus. I need your blood to come and cleanse this. Then just come up with that. And even if it's something that you've asked him for forgiveness for multiple times, it's okay. Come again. The power of the cross is for, for that. I'd like to invite people up if you just want to experience more of God. You're like, I've heard about him, but not experienced it, not felt it, not touched it myself. It's all right. Just come and let him come and touch you. And um, I also want to invite people who have felt like Elijah or Hagar in the stories that you felt unseen, unheard, or in a situation that's hard and been going on for a long time. Come up and let him give you some magic bread and water. Um, some of us have avoided coming to God because we're ashamed. And I think this is the morning when he says, come. You sort of think, if he really knew me, he wouldn't love me. But actually, he does. So come and let him show you that. And then I think um, Bill's word about some of us need to learn to do a leap of joy. Some of us used to, and we've stopped. <laughs> some of us have never done it, but he wants to restore that in us. So any of those are you. Just come on up. And if, if you're a regular member here and you want to pray for people, come on up as well. But we'll just worship a little bit. Um, and there's a cross here as well. If it helps you to kneel in front of that cross, come and do that. That's sometimes a tangible thing. But worship a bit and please come forward. If you're part of the prayer team or you regularly pray for people, come on up. I know this is an uncomfortable thing, but come forward and we'll... He's here. Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar a father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was born with 
Well, I'm going to do now is I'm going to officially 